feel bad like about his whole pipes exploding and everything. Oh yeah, it's awful. Yeah, but at least he uh, found the silver lining in Ibiza. Yeah. That's a great place to explode your pipes. That's never happened to me. Like all the times I've had problems in my apartments over the years. <laughs> you couldn't just move yeah. off to Ibiza. No, more like uh, sleeping on a friend's couch. That's right. Welcome to APO Lingo number six. Uh, today on our panel, we have with us Rocio Rocha. Hello, everyone. My name is Rocio. I'm coming live at you from Cordoba, Argentina. Very nice to meet you, Sarah. I hope you enjoy being here with us. And I hope to all of our listeners that enjoy this session. Uh, we also have with us today Lee Curtis. Hey, everybody coming at you from my studio in Los Angeles and uh, looks like it's a little less uh, smoky than it has been. Is it getting better over there or what's the latest? Uh, you know like a lot of there's there's like three of them so uh, some are at like no containment some of them are at a little bit more in fact I haven't even been checking because it's just so uh, I feel I really feel for the people that live even closer to these to the especially to the big one. I drove through it uh, last week on my trip, and it was just you can't see. Well, you yeah. drove through it like you were really close to it. Yeah, I drove through San Bernardino on my way to Austin. Yesterday or two days ago, I was walking outside with um, my girlfriend, and we were, we saw like the sunset, and I'm in New York. And it was the sunset that like, it was just this incredible sunset. Like the sun looked fiery, hazy. And we're, we were just marveling at it being like, wow, like that sun looks insane. And then she told me today or yesterday, she's like, oh yeah, in this Facebook group, somebody wrote, yeah, the sun in New York looks this way because of the fires in the West. It's very possible. I mean, the wildfires are somewhat common in Los Angeles, this area. You know, they are a process of nature, but not when they're man-made. The topic for today is going to be equalization and the fab filter EQ. And I'm really happy to have with us uh, Sarah Sims. Sarah, would you like to introduce yourself? First of all, thank you very much for having me on your podcast today. I'm a DJ and electronic music producer based for the moment in Toronto, Canada. And yeah, here I am today. <laughs> And we, you said, we met in Detroit at TV Lounge, Lee. I didn't even know that when I was playing there a couple of years ago. I forgot. Oh, but, word. Yeah, yeah. Stomping grounds. Detroit, baby. Yeah, Clarion, he was playing at TV Lounge, and I was out there playing Sharivari Festival. And after I was done my festival sets, I went to TV Lounge and, uh, yeah, caught at the end of Clarion set. I miss Detroit in the summertime, big time right now. I do. It's like the nicest time of year. Yeah, it's incredible, the music that's... Detroit's like, it's one of these places in the United States where, I mean, in places in the world where it's just so crazy and intense when you think about the history of Detroit and you think it's like really uh, hard, you know, like the people must be really, really hard. But then on the other side of that, it's, you have the most, I don't know, sensitive and in revolutionary music that comes out of there that just touches everybody like touches it's almost like transcendent stuff that comes out of there it's know? crazy because if you look at our population and you have to go to the metro area before you know the entire metro area before you get it over a million yet per capita mm. i mean our shooting percentage is high out of that place baby our shooting percentage is very high we have so many great musicians that come out of there and great great producers and and engineers so uh so sarah was that your first time by the way in detroit or have you been to detroit before no i started playing out in detroit about three or four years ago i started off on at 313 fm okay. with brent if you guys know brent down from the radio station there and then i've been playing sharivari festival for the past three years the first two of course we're live and then this year we did a big live stream event for the festival so yeah i, I think um detroit's a really important city to play in and important city musically to learn from right because they have so much detroit offers so much musical culture and even though it's a small city you know they've had an enormous impact on music yeah lots of love for detroit all the way apl's got all the love to give to detroit and thank yous 
for some of my favorite records. Uh, well, and genres of music. <laughs> and genres of music. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait a minute. Um, but so, Sarah, can we talk about the Fab Filter for those who don't know what that is? But even taking a step before that, let's talk about equalization. Can you explain uh, in your own words what equalization is and that process for newcomers, for people who maybe aren't so familiar with EQing or just getting started with EQing? Of course. Well, I would say if you want to think about EQ and maybe perhaps thinking about why we EQ different sounds, I think in a mix it's important to make space for every sound because you really want to think about having a, a wall of creating a wall of sound, but within that wall of sound, having all of the instruments occupy their own space within the mix. So nothing is, is crossing over each other or running into each other, right? All of the sounds that you'd like to have are well presented and clear. So if we can think about EQ as sculpting, we can think about making space for all of our sounds. So that's perhaps why we would EQ things. And a really cool EQ to use, I think it might be a little bit overwhelming for new producers because there's so many EQs to choose from. I would maybe suggest rather than trying to master 20 different EQs, perhaps just to choose one. And one that I, I have chosen to work with and that works really well for me in my productions is the FabFilter Pro Q3. It's the best EQ I've ever used. And I'm, you like I, I, I use it exclusively. I mean, I, I, I just uh, to jump in, like, even if uh, my advice, for, even if you're a novice producer, uh, but you are serious about it, um, you know, the price tag on the, the Pro Q3 is a bit much, but you have to think about the fact that this is your first line of defense against resonance. It's your, it's your go-to to carve out frequencies that you're not using in the sound yeah I, I would say to buy it even if you're a novice uh to learn the best eq and have the best in your arsenal to start with is better than not getting the sound you want because you're using the stock eqs in your daw okay so and sarah to be clear for people who don't know what the fab filter eq is it's a plugin right it's a digital plugin that you would add. How do you add the fab filter or what's the process to getting it started when you're working with it? Let's say you want to get the fab filter and you have a you have a, your DAW set up, I don't know, like Pro Tools or whatever it is, and you want to introduce it. Whether using a, a MIDI track or an audio track, you can just drag the VST, your fab filter Pro EQ, right onto the track. So let's maybe talk about an instance where, where you could use it. When I'm making a track, I, I usually like to start with the kick. Yeah, for me, it would be a techno track. You know, before we put the EQ on the track, you want to put some sounds in your DAW, right? So when you're first building a track, everybody starts differently. I like to start with the kick. And the first thing I would do is I would find the key of my kick so I can start to build out the rest of the track around a certain key. So I use a plugin like Mixed in Key Studio Edition usually to find the key of my track there. And then the next thing I would do is I'd actually pull up something called a note to frequency chart, which is something I definitely recommend for all producers once you found the key. You can find note to frequency charts online. And I would find the fundamental frequency of a kick. Can so you like let what the note to frequency chart is? There's one one from Sweetwater I have on my desktop. You know, I, I, I downloaded these. I think I've been doing it so long, like Clarion, that I kind of feel it. So, but I, it's yeah. really nice. It's really nice to take a look at it. Um, we could we could maybe post a link to it with the, the podcast for anybody that's interested. There's and maybe uh, Sarah can post the one that she uses because it's like. It's, it's pretty simple, like it shows you where your punch and your kick is, your girth, and this, and hi-hats, body, sizzle, overtones. It all ends up feeling, but it's a great way when something's not popping or you want to get to work to, like, a little cheat sheet. I like the idea, especially if, if in terms of learning where everything should sit, but I feel like in terms of pr practicality, for someone like me, I would probably 
because I wouldn't want to automatically create parameters that are exact because I'd like to do things, you know, that are off the book. Let's say like maybe take a high hat and then meddle with it to such an extent that it's no longer so there's so much highs in it, let's say, and it's not sitting where it should sit. But that's for the sake of my experiment or the project that I'm doing. You know? But I guess for, for a standard protocol, maybe or something like that, it sounds interesting. I don't know. I, I never used to look at that before. <laughs> It's just great that everybody has like a completely different perspective and a different process. Like right. I've worked with so many different people and it's like, Oh, that's how you get that. That's awesome. Oh, right. wow. I would have never thought of it. It's it, the wonderful thing about music production is it's all open. Uh, just to go back to why I like to use a frequency chart. I think music is a combination of arts and also the science of sounds. So I think, first of all, when we're EQing perhaps the kick, we want to think about we're going to have some other sounds in the low end that we're going to be adding. The bass would be one of the next ones, right? And we want to think about making space for the kick and also for the bass. And where these two low end frequencies are going to be sitting are going to be different for different types of music. So for an example, in techno, the bass lies underneath the kick. So I think about making the bass lower and the, the kick a little bit higher. But for some other styles, that's the other way around. You might have a really low kick and then you might have your bass sitting on top of the kick. So we want to think about using EQ to shape the kick drum so that the bass can come through as well. You find this interesting too because Sarah, uh, and I didn't know this, but you also played rock music, right, at some point? Like you were playing in rock bands, am I, am I right about that? I saw a cover, because Lee mentioned in the last podcast, the one before, I think there was a Kurt Cobain reference, and I saw your cover of Heart Shaped Box, that if you are mixing drums and bass, they are gonna sit differently in different genres of music in terms of what you're used to hearing. You know, like in techno, you're, gonna, you're used to hearing the bass and the kick sitting in a, together a certain way, whereas with rock, it's gonna be different, or, or hip hop, et cetera. Yeah. Absolutely. Every style is really very different. So you have to learn the nuances of the particular style you want to master. Right. And really try to learn from some of the greats in that field. So, okay. So back to EQing our kick drum here. Mm. So since most speakers can't go lower than about 30 or 40 Hertz, you want to usually cut away the bottom of your, of your kick drum. And in some of the lowest keys, like an E or a D sharp, you might want to use a shelf EQ to cut away the bottom. So I would use my note to frequency chart here to find the fundamental frequency of the kick. So let's say I'm making a song in the key of G and my kick is in G. I can look at the fundamental frequency chart here. Right, there's a and baby on this podcast. Yeah, my son just joined me. He says we moved it to Wednesday. Sorry, he's gonna. Whenever you talk about G, he loves that chord. He, he'll he go does love. On. He does love G. Sorry, very controversial. Hello, Lee's son. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Say hi, Izzy. Izzy could be a great replacement for Richard. <laughs> yeah, bus. My pipes broke in my apartment. Good one, Izzy. That's a very good Richard. We moved it to Wednesday, and I have him. Uh, on Wednesdays, my wife is working from home, so there may be a little bit of baby noise, but he's uh, he's pretty chill. I'll get the filter EQ and I'll EQ it out. <laughs> I'm not using the auto though. I do my own dynamics. <laughs> <laughs> on baby frequency? Baby frequency algorithm. I'm working on it right now. Um, all right, Sarah, sorry, continue. I, That's okay. Yeah. So back to our fundamental frequency chart. So find the fundamental frequency of whatever key you're working in. So in G, that could be around 48, 49. And I would boost the fundamental frequency. And I would use my EQ to cut away some space for the bass. So there's room for the bass underneath. And a cool trick, too, you can also do with the kick drum. If you want to give the kick drum a little bit more talk, you can multiply the fundamental frequency. And you can look this up on your chart here. And you can boost in the higher frequencies as well. And that will just give your kick drum a little bit of a different hit, a different type of hit. So multiply that fundamental frequency. So do you always reference this, uh, the chart when you're doing the kick and the bass? Is this like your, your process, your go-to, your advice for people? I'm always uh, referencing the fundamental frequency chart. I think that 
you know, over time, like you can memorize a lot of these, like Lee has said, right? Because he's been doing music for a very long time. A lot of these frequencies he just feels, right? Yeah. And what happens is you've probably internalized a lot of these different frequencies, right? So, you know, a lead synthesizer sounds that's in this frequency range and you can also check right you can also do cuts and then just see where the frequencies are and then yeah. based on where the hertz are sitting then just find the nice sweet spot and get it you know get a nice impression yeah and and, and she made a good point about rolling off the bottom of <laughs> kick drums a lot of the kick drums that we use in dance music are uh, come with a lot of sub bass information that mm -hmm. isn't necessary on your track and i'll find most of the time when i'm doing mixes for people or producing they'll bring in a project and the kick is just boom it is so loud it has so much up and i'm I, and i'll start rolling it off and and especially some of my friends are like why are you rolling off the bass man we need that i'm like tell me when you can uh, right. tell me when you can't hear it anymore and you go up all the way to like 40 some hertz right. and they're like it's fine. I'm like, yeah, we don't, we don't need it. Like, it's just going to be like rumble. Hear it you know in a club. I mean? Hear it in a club. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we still have a baseline that's going over top of this, you know. So yeah, it's it's uh it's important to, it's important to start EQing from the get go. I try not to get too deep into engineering while I'm producing. Uh, I like to try to stay in the flow, but at the same time. Uh, you do have to do some EQing or else your, your parts just straight up won't fit. You'll think you're not playing the right stuff when you are playing the right melody or the right bass line, but you just don't have it fitting. Yeah. Another good trick that I have as well when you're EQing is if you're working with a reference track, which I think is a good idea for new producers and also experienced producers as well, right? To really work with a vision in mind and have a reference track that has the types of sounds that you want to include in your production, what you can do is you can use a spectrum meter on the master, perhaps in third octave mode, and you can have a look at what the frequency spectrum looks like on the reference track. And then you can go back to your tracks that you've EQ'd, like if you're just starting off your kick drum, and see if your kick drum is sitting relatively in the same, uh, in the same frequency range that your reference track is in. So you can see how close you are or how far you are from where you really want to be. Now, I feel like that's really smart for engineering for mixing sounds, but I wonder if with the referencing, I mean, for me, especially sometimes where I'm like, I don't want to hear anything because I don't want anything else to kind of bleed into what I'm doing. And I hate it when, actually, one of the things I really don't like is when someone says, oh, this sounds like that. Or, you know, I get annoyed when they make it sound like this sounds like, but I guess, uh, but I do, when you're mixing stuff down, I do think it's really important to reference. And a different perspective from your process is to just, from the get-go, have a reference track. Is that what you're saying as you're building your track out? I, I think, once again, everyone's different. Mm -hmm. uh, myself, I really like to work with a vision in mind. Mm -hmm. I think it helps creatively because as a creative person, you really have the power and the capability to make anything, right? right? The so, blind When I when I go to the studio, it's a little bit easier to stay on track if I know what I want to make going in. I guess there would be a lot of producers that would be wondering if that could be a problem uh, with creativity and stuff like that. Uh, I, I personally don't find it's an issue at all. I find it interesting to listen to different ideas, right? And you can maybe hear some different tracks and think, oh, I like that type of kick drum. I like that type of sound they used uh, here. I use it more as inspiration, right? Like, and you might take even a couple different tracks, right? And think, oh, I like the bass line, this type of bass line, you know, this type of percussion, right? This type of modular, you know, modular, whatever we want to put in, right? And that modular and Izzy went crazy, the baby yeah. just. He's playing my shakers right now. <laughs> what about you? Do you like to work with a reference track when you're I, when you're producing? Um, I'm, I'm somewhere I'm somewhere between you and Clarion. So I found this really great spectrum analyzer that uh, from Hawkeye from the Plugin Alliance that I have, uh, and so I will get moving on a track, but and start writing and writing, but. Um, 
I'll throw the, the analyzer on before I start really filling out the, the, the space in the track because I want to know where I'm missing and how, if my drums are punching or not. I'll just take a quick look at it. But then when I get to the mixing part, I will pull up a track that I think is in that genre that is like completely what I'm going for and juxtapose it. So yeah, I, I use... I use what you're talking about a little bit further into the process. Maybe okay. after, after I've already started, like I've got, I've got things popping the way I want to. There's, there's something happening worth me doing that too. Cause mm -hmm. I mean, I make a lot of music um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm a musician as well as a producer. So like, I'll just go and go and go. And then once I have something, I'm like, aha, now this is worth me starting to break down and take a look at and then you know like there's there's even some when i'm making like techno and house there's some tracks that don't even love the tracks but damn are they mixed and mastered well and i'll pull those up and, right. and take a look at them net side by side so i'm like i see you know my high my high end is buried here my kick has no punch and for sure and that's like, actually that's like a classic engineering tactic or you know there's like the standards that people will do if you're working in a team uh they, they check and they see and make sure you're hitting like all the frequencies you're not distorting in those frequencies and having good references is a big part of that process and a, lo a lot of times when people send stuff for me to mix um they send like two to three tracks that they love the way it's right. mixed it's the right vibe right and, and if they don't i ask for it yeah I'll for sure it because that saves so much time you know uh on many on many levels uh but sarah it's interesting because i guess what you're talking about is just bringing that process in sooner than where i would be used to having it which is usually closer to the end I think you could also bring it in close to the beginning of your track too. I want to ask you about frequencies um, because, for example, I was once taught that the area of 200 frequencies tends to be uh, more sensitive to the human ear. So we might want to uh, take that into consideration and maybe to not um, boost too much on that area. What do you think about that? Do you know any other specific frequencies that tend to be too sensitive for the human hearing? Well, I have heard that between maybe 152 and uh, between 200, 250, those areas can be more problematic, right? So, you know, perhaps you might want to carve those out of the mix. Uh, I hate to say anything set in stone like that, right? Because it really depends what's going on in the track, right? Some of the high, like the very high frequencies, you know, you may not want to boost too much in your high end because perhaps that could get annoying, right? My ears are really sensitive to uh, grading highs. So a lot of times I, I end up having to attenuate people's high end um, because highs that are defined are great, but when they're sharp, especially as soon as you blast it at, uh, out of a club sound system. It's yeah. the worst thing in the world when your highs are cutting into people's ears. Um, so I always find that I have the most problems with, other, with mixing other people's music and sometimes my own uh, in, the, in, the very, in the higher frequency ranges because there's nothing worse than listening to a track that's just all treble and bass. No offense, trap music. <laughs> oh, damn, I said it. Oh, my, my ears hurt just from the word trapping. That's right, dude. I lost hurts. I've lost <laughs> It hurts. It hurts. <laughs> you hurt the ear first. <laughs> One trick you could do is if you're using a couple different loops, like say you have a couple different percussive loops, or you have several a couple different hi-hats maybe two or three hi-hats what you could do is you could put an eq going back to our eq the the fab filter eq there you could cut off the high end at 14 or 15 kilohertz on all the loops and then you could route all those loops to a bus and then you could use a very luxurious eq such as perhaps the acoustica audio diamond color eq or something like an fsl and dial back in your high end on that bus 
So your high end is coming from a very, very high quality EQ. Well, I'm curious because I'm talking about pop filter. I've noticed that you can create a, a band at any frequency range, but there is also uh, this dynamic range you could use within one band. And I don't quite understand what's the dynamic range within that. The fact that you can make any boost or cuts that you make, well, actually just with the bell or the shelf shapes on the fab filter, is one of the best features of this EQ. So what the dynamic EQ does is it changes the gain of the EQ band dynamically, which makes it possible to perform some more like subtle cuts with this EQ to make the EQ sound kind of like to make some cuts similar to a multi-band compressor, but except in a more intuitive and perhaps simple way. Is that the auto button? I never even used the fat filter. I just looked at a video before we started. Because I know it's a quick video, but yeah. It, it's not the auto, but it's, it's when you um, make an EQ point with a bell or shelf shape. If you right click that, so control click on your Mac, there'll be an option for make dynamic. Okay. So you can make your EQ points dynamic. What do you mean by dynamic? Like compre like a compressor on it, with it? Or what do you mean by dynamic? Well, I think dynamics, I think about compression or I think about, you know, a, a ch like some changes in attenuation. Uh, it changes the gain of the EQ band dynamically. <laughs> and you can actually adjust what that gain is. So it's going to create some more I guess space perhaps is, is perhaps a good word, um, either above or below the boost or the cut that you've made. Okay. So that's attenuation, it's taking a high point okay. and a low point, right? And it's creating like, so it's like a multiband compressor, multiband dynamics, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. like a, like a multiband attenuator, really. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it's dope, it's really great. It's, okay. it's is, there attack, is there attack and release as well that you can mm -hmm. be working with or is that all auto? No. No, it's just, it is what it is. But you can, you can like dial it into the tiniest frequency range if you want, or a wide one. So it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. I still, I'm still learning that part of it, but um, I've used it a few times and it, it does work well. Like you find a peak, you find a peak, you can set that to attenuate. And every time it goes to that peak, it'll attenuate. That's a little bit and, th and then and then when the peak is gone it goes back up to normal allowing the sound to be what it is and i mean that works you can kind of set you set that up with a multi-band compressor it sounds like a multi -band yeah compressor. very similar i mean that's the kind of caveat where i would be like if you're a novice if you're just starting out and you jump into that and you start using those tools i would suggest before you even like maybe use it just as a eight band EQ, you know? Totally. Like, so I use it more for more as a EQ, EQ, just a straight EQ than anything else, but those options are in there. So. Right, 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 right. Uh, that's cool. That's, I saw something like that in the video and I was like, oh, interesting. It's like auto generated dynamics. Um, yeah, sorry, continue. Another thing you can do with the Fab Filter Pro Q3 as well is you can sidechain it too. So some producers will use the dynamic EQ and then they'll also use the sidechain as well on it. I want to know the difference between sidechaining with an EQ or with a compressor or when do we prefer using one above another? Yeah, well, I think it depends what you want to use the sidechain for, right? If you want to use it as part of your sound design, right? or if you want um, to use it to pull down the sound of, let's say, a piano when, when the vocal is playing. So myself, at present time, I don't use the sidechain too much with the FabFilter Pro EQ, but I'm comfortable to talk about the technique a bit. Uh, Lee, do you use the sidechain at all on the FabFilter Pro Q3? You know what? I haven't been using the sidechain on it, but now I just had a little bit of a revelation because I usually sidechain um, on, on, and I also mix like indie and rock and, and other types of music. So like when I'm mixing that type of music, I will sidechain compress the synthesizers to the vocals. So when, the, like you said, when the vocal hits, I want the synths to, to reduce a little bit so the vocal can stand out on top. 
And I'm just thinking the next time I go through and do that, instead of adding more compression, it might be nice to just set that attenuator. And when the vocal hits, sidechain that the dynamics on it. So it's just ducking the frequency range in which the vocals are hitting. Yeah, that's cool that it has that feature. So meaning, I guess with the fab filter EQ then for Rocio's question, it's uh, when you're talking about side chaining, so you're just listening, right? So you're listening to the certain frequencies and then based on where those frequencies are hitting, the amplitude and the frequency range, you can tell it to do something, tell the sound based on the signal. So when the signal happens, then the other signal is gonna do, it's gonna react. So it's an act, an act and react kind of chain that you create. That you create. So with the fab filter, then I guess you're doing precise kind of frequency uh, listening that you can have on it, which is or intuitive enough for you to work with. Sarah, is that it? Is that the case? Yeah, and I think for the new producers who are listening as well for us today, perhaps we should tell them a little bit more about like what side chaining is and and when you would use it. In the example where we had like um, we have maybe a vocal and then we have something like a keyboard or maybe a guitar, which is a little less common in electronic music, but something, uh, two, uh, two different instruments that were occupying the same space and kind of fighting with each other. We might want to put, uh, we would use a side chain so that let's say when we have a vocal and you have the piano, the piano, comes down a little bit in volume every time the vocal plays. So it puts the vocal a little bit more forward in the mix and that piano sound would be a little bit underneath the vocal. It's reduced in volume a bit. And we can be very precise using the FabFilter Pro Q3 and do some side chaining so that if you have a, a specific frequency, you know, on your keyboard that's that matches the vocal, you could bring that frequency range down a little bit when the vocal plays. And by doing that, you preserve the dynamic integrity of the piano because you're not fully, all, you're not hard EQing the piano. You're not going, oh, well, the, pian the piano is sitting in these hertz, the vocals are sitting in these hertz and they're, and they're, you know, they're clashing. So what I'm gonna do is just reduce the amplification of the piano and that frequency. Instead, you can manage to protect the overall mix of how you have the piano by introducing a, a quick side chain. Which, and also the, the old school way would be uh, when you're sitting at a mixing console, the, <laughs> the mix engineer would bring down the piano and bring up the vocal. Yeah. This is a, a really slick way to make it instantaneous, you know? If you own a console, if you have a console, because then it could sound, it'll sound a lot better if you're doing it with your hands, I think then, well, maybe not, I don't know. I'm just one, I like the, the touch, the human touch. And of course. And automating it, trying to make it sound like that. Um, actually, in the course, Rocio, I don't know if you got to the sidechain part, did you? Yes, I did. Because I do believe what you said, like I kind of demonstrate it, and then I'm like, oh, this is what it would look like if you're doing it with a fader. And I go like up and down. Up and down. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, well, I have another question actually about Fab Filter and its properties. Um, I can see that we can equalize, we have uh, stereo equalization, mid, side, left, or right. So when or how can we use that for a better performance or for a very psychological response or more dynamic? Okay, so that is an excellent question. And the wonderful thing about this EQ here, about the Fab Filter uh, Pro Q3, is we can use it for mid-side mixing as well as mixing in stereo. So mid-side is, is traditionally used in mastering. Uh, it's also a very useful technique in mixing. And we can use it to put elements behind the mix or up front in the mix. You can also use it to color frequencies from left to right. Nice. I think it's important when you're using mid-side some instruments you shouldn't pan out to the sides because they need to be in the middle of your mix such as like the bass or the kick drum those belong in the middle there but some other instruments and percussion you know you can you can put to the side to make some more space you can also use mid slide to make a track tighter to make it sound more centered and opposite right you can actually use it to decenter something in your mix to create space, uh, stereo space. Uh, yeah. Left and right EQ is incredible when you have, let's say, 
a pad or you have something that's layered um, to be able to, because, you know, we use a lot of panning when we're mixing or producing. We should be because we have all this stereo field to cover. But when you, ah, come here, buddy. All right. Yeah. Uh, but but um, to be able to EQ the left and the right slightly differently will, A, it gets rid of phase, you know, if you have any phase issues, and also widens the mix because you now have, let's say you have a lead going slightly to the right and a similar pad playing left and right. Let's carve out the, the right side a little bit where the lead will fit and then let it kind of have full uh, expression over to the left side. So it's, it's a really great way to create the illusion that the mix is even wider because I think most of us prefer a mix that sounds wider to one that sounds narrow. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, no, narrow. <laughs> yeah, like, shrink that mix for me. I've never heard anybody say, oh, no. nobody's, nobody's ever come back to me going, this sounds a bit wide. Yeah, can you make it mono? Can you just play it out of my phone speaker, you know, right in front of me? To be fair, stereo is good, but you know what? There is, for me, there is too much stereo. It, honestly, it really does depend on what you're doing in the end. But yes, I mean, uh, this, these are very powerful tools and are very uh, useful. And Sarah, I really do appreciate the way you're explaining everything. It, I think you're, you know, you're very, uh, you're explaining these concepts really well. I think uh, for a lot of people listening, I think this is going to be maybe up to this point the most useful podcast we've had. Didactic. Yes. Well, for anyone who actually has the FabFilter Pro Q3 and is kind of following along with this, if you make a, a boost or a cut here, how you actually enable the, the, um, uh, the mid-side here is you would right-click on your EQ point and then you go stereo placements and then you can actually select by default it's stereo but you could change that to mid or side so if you select mid you're going to be eqing just what's in the middle and if you select side you're going to be eqing just the side and i think to give this technique justice you really have to hear like you have to hear what the side of the mix is as opposed to what the mid is to really kind of fully understand the concept would you agree there lee yeah, definitely. Um, you know, like uh, when you're doing something like this, solo the channel and get deep with it. And then constantly check back to your mix and then get deep with that channel. I mean, that's what treating a channel is all about is is getting getting into the sound and making it the best representation of what you or the artist, if you're just mixing, uh, is trying to portray. And um, I, I did want to make a quick side note for all of you that use Ableton. Um, you can do stereo EQing on the regular EQ that, that uh, Ableton has. So I always like to give an option for folks that don't have access to all the plugins because it took me years to amass all the ones that I have, uh, a lot of money. So you can, you can do these things if you hit the stereo left, right button, button on, the, on the Ableton EQ. I don't have it up in front of me. So I can't tell you, but it's, it's pretty simple. You, should, you, you can do it in Ableton as well. I just wanted to make sure people have that option. That's a great tip to give people, very thoughtful. Um, yeah, because yeah, Ableton, it does not, one thing that it's not, you know, at the forefront of what it's doing is panning and stereo imaging in its default settings. I, maybe with Suite, there's more stuff uh, that, you, that you get a little bit with it but not compared to um, some of the other DAWs and then especially not compared to then when you're getting these plugins that really take the time to have a whole team working on making these, uh, making these, uh, these tools and techniques super intuitive for people in 2020. Uh, things that you can do now in two seconds, which would take, you know, like 20 minutes setting up. This has been really cool. I think we need to move on to picks at this point. It's almost been an hour already. Sarah, do you have any final things you want to add before we move on to picks? Well, I would say just to wrap up with the mid-side technique, if I think you're just starting off with it, perhaps a good way to start might be to try just even mixing some hi-hats using the mid-side technique. So perhaps EQing your hi-hats so they're more on the side. You know, if you're just learning mid-side technique, that's how I learned. 
and maybe that's a good way to start out for other people as well. So just do a couple simple elements, maybe some hi-hats, maybe, you know, some of your, uh, your keyboard, something maybe more in the high frequencies that could be pushed a little bit to make it wider. And using mid-side technique, it's kind of, um, it's an alternative to some of those wider plugins, the stereo wideners that are out. So there's all different ways to accomplish your goal and and uh, yeah, I would definitely recommend doing some more investigation into uh, all these techniques here. <laughs> they help you out. And always, as always, just experiment, experiment, experiment. Once you learn to do it on hi-hats, try it on something else. Like, like she said, it's very true that we usually keep, keep our kick in our bass somewhere, you know, right down the center. Um, in electronic music, most definitely. Um, but yeah, have some, have some fun. Once you get the vibe of it, you know, get creative, mm. uh, get, get weird with it. I mean, that's how I made all my records. And so like, uh, as soon as you learn a technique, apply it somewhere else, you know, and keep going with it. Keep, keep pushing it further and, and be creative. That's like EQing is actually a really liberating, uh, process in production where like, oh, if I take out all the low from this and like stereo EQ the highs, all of a sudden this thing is moving all over the place and it becomes this element that, that is a part of a piece that you wouldn't have without an EQ. So uh, a lot of people get bored with the EQ conversations and it's like, oh, I don't want to get into all the EQing and the engineering. It's like, no, man, that's, that is super fun. I'm just getting fired up. I'm just, I'm getting excited. I feel like we could go forever. <laughs> this is like the most interesting conversation I've had all day, for sure. Um, not that I've had that many interesting conversations today. But no, this is uh, for real. Like, and that makes sense, Lee. That makes a lot of sense. And Sarah, what you guys are saying, it makes a lot of sense. I like that liberating. I like the analogy you just said about liberation. <laughs> dropping that low end, you know, if it's whatever, for whatever reason that was bugging out your mix and then you're floating right the low end's gone and now you're free <laughs> yeah now you're moving so moving, yeah um all right so let's move on to picks and picks is basically if you saw in the email sarah we just go around and we just talk about something that we're into lately it can be anything it could be music related non-music related you could plug something it could be in whatever thing that you you're into movies books and we can just share something I'll do a quick one. Uh, my two picks. Remember I said, as I stopped off on my drive to Austin, if that Volvo gets me there, I'm going to fortify my pick on Volvo cars. So I'm going to go ahead and do that. The thing was amazing. And then on the flip of that is once I got to Texas, there is no comparison to Texas brisket. That's my second pick. Barbecue brisket in Texas is like, it's just on another level. So jealous. so jealous you had that. <laughs> You'll visit. Yeah, can't wait. Wow. Just don't save some for me. <laughs> I think there's enough down there, but I'm a big boy, but not that big. Okay. That's awesome. Uh, those are great picks. And I'm glad we're we're glad. I'm glad that you made it okay. You're back. Thank you so much. Um uh, yeah, I'll go second, actually, because I have a good pick this time. Uh, I'm not just looking around my room. I have, wait, where did it go? Because I don't want to get, yeah, I watched, it's a cartoon that I, that I saw recently, which I saw for the third time, and it's amazing. I, it's a dark cartoon. It's called Over the Garden Wall. It's on Cartoon Network, and it's, this, it's just this beautiful cartoon. It's just short. It's one season. And it's very hard to describe, but essentially it's a mix of like gothic literature that spans all the way back from like the beginning of gothic stuff to modern gothic, uh, mixed with like childhood, mixed with like a childhood or kid stories, like Adventure Time-ish or something like that. But it's just a really weird and simple and beautiful story about these two kids who are lost in the forest, in the woods, and this, these little things that happen. And then, you know, I don't want to spoil anything about it, but it's just this really well done story and the music, the soundtrack is incredible. It's just very chilling and simple kind of lullabies that are done in this, with these gothic hues and tones. And then also- What's it, what's it called again? A waltzy Tom Waits-ish vibe to it. It's called Over the Garden Wall. Over the Garden Wall, sounds interesting. 
and really like perfect timing with uh, Halloween and everything coming up. That's awesome. Sarah, do you have one? Yes, but I need to look up the name. <laughs> maybe, maybe Rocio, it can go first. Okay, yeah, sure. Okay, my pick this week is actually Tai Chi. I've started practicing it. I think, Lee, you've mentioned Tai Chi once. Five years of Qigong Tai Chi studying. Yeah, I'm deep. Mm. You're, 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 got, you're getting into it. It's great, isn't it? I love it. Actually, I've never felt con actually connected with yoga. So I've been thinking for a long time to actually start with Tai Chi. And I am really, really loving it. Oh, amazing. I have, I have a ton of books and uh, videos if, that are on YouTube if you want some like uh, more studying material. Obviously, there's sure. no, no uh, replacement for like they call it a transmission from a master, which is just a lesson, um, which I've had a, I've been lucky enough to have a few. But um, it's like a lifelong thing that just it, it helps you stay grounded, focused and uh, helps your immune system, which is really important right now. So um, I'm so happy you're into it. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. fantastic. Rosie, are you doing them online or did you find like a group for the... Well, actually, uh, I was looking at Udemy and I found a free course uh, given by a guy called David Wong. And he's got plenty, both uh, um, many martial arts and uh you get to up your immune system and there's really great ones for getting your lymphatic system going it's great for people with with serious chronic ailments that's inspiring now i'm like i'm pumped i'm supposed to go to the gym after this you just got me double like double psyched now it's yeah. not it's not a replacement for the gym it's no, i know but that's what i'm doing that's what i'm doing that's like just if, like something that makes me feel good that's keeping me healthy you know if, if you go shaolin like deep shaolin monk style it's way better than the gym but i can't even do that stuff yeah it's, i'm not, I'm not going to compare the ancient wisdoms of like taoism and things like that to uh running on a treadmill and the and the weights that i'm pulling but just uh, just being healthy in general it's, it's a good good advice lifting weights running tai chi yoga eating right keeps your immune system up consistency is hard that's the thing that i think is the difficult thing because you can do it once you get excited but to if you really want to see results where you know we live in this immediacy this culture of immediacy we want things to happen right away but i think when it comes to things such as like your health things that need to take time to really get to where they need to be you have to be patient and you have to treat yourself right. You have to take care and you have to be consistent to really see, you know, and that's something that for me, I know I have a, a hard time with keeping up with something, but when I manage to do it, the difference is, is always like really impressive. I couldn't agree more. I have a child. I'm still working as a full-time music producer and engineer. And then like I, I was running, I was doing Tai Chi. And it's like, I miss a lot of days it's it's okay the other thing is don't get down on yourself for missing a day if you have to go in and work the whole day that's what you have to do save right. your mental focus for that but then like make sure you get yeah make sure you don't do fall something. off right just do, do something kind for yourself that week you know what i mean i can't run right now because the air is full of smoke so it's like when the when the night falls and it, the air gets a little cleaner i've been going and doing a more more tai chi so it's like and I, I, just a quick interjection, I know I go on at length all the time, but as a producer, I saw an incredible spike in productivity, creativity, when I started exercising. Because I, when I lived in Detroit, I would just sit in the house and work and work for days on end. And I did it in Chicago too, when I lived there. You need uh, it because you're sitting down, you're just working all the time. That's you're it, that's it. You're sitting, the only exercise you're doing is that you know, moving the fab filter dynamics or playing yeah. with pedals, making sure the impedance is working and you're not getting any, uh, any frequencies you don't want, you know, but uh, yeah. Right. Movement actually allows emotions to flow, right? So if, if some, maybe someone is feeling stuck in anything with a mix or something, moving and doing any activity will allow you to free your mind and actually free yourself from those emotions. So it's really, really good. Dance music. That's why, that's why we love it. Dance music. We go out, we dance all night, and we shed all the negativity. That's why it's so popular and it's so easy to love, you know? I want to, I want to get Sarah's pick before we yeah. dance. Sarah, if I, can we get that? 
you take your time, it's fine. I can't right, take very much time with this. Actually, no matter of time. But I have, well, just want to let everyone know, I have a track coming out on October 23rd called Bronx that I'm really excited about. So make sure everybody to stay tuned for that. And then my other pick that I watched recently was a very interesting documentary about Suzanne Siani, and it was called A Life in Waves. And she is a, an electronic music pioneer. I wasn't aware of her work before watching this documentary, but it was super fascinating. Uh, she was one of uh, the first females who worked in advertising and uh, all making her music electronically with different synthesizers and all sorts of interesting equipment in the 70s and went on to become a very successful artist. And it's a, it's a very cool documentary. I, I recommend everyone checking it out. A Life in Ways. That sounds very cool. Yeah. Really nice. Those are great picks, everybody. This has been a really cool uh, episode. Thank you, Sarah, for coming on the show and for talking with us today. The lowdown on the fat filter and just get you talking about these processes and explaining things. Well, great. Thank you, thank you great. so much for having me on your podcast. And, and awesome to connect with everyone. Great to connect. Yeah, very and, lovely to, to meet you. Well, he, right, was guys. Shakers? Izzy was sh he was playing the Shakers, right? I heard him playing the Shakers. Yeah, you? he came out of the womb drumming this one. So <laughs> we have a snare. I have a snare and a hi-hat in here. He loves that. And uh, he, 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 play, he, he has his own synth. Realistic. He's a Curtis. There's a Curtis in him. There <laughs> is. He is Izzy Curtis. So it's, it, yeah, he loves music. He loves music. It's so, so amazing to see. Hey, if he wants to make it, the studio's here. If he wants to do accounting, I'm okay with that too, because music is a very uh, perilous industry to navigate, but it is navigatable. Is that a word? Candy. Navigable. 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 And it depends on where you're from, I suppose. <laughs> and, what, and what finishing school you went to, yes? And if you got brisket last weekend. And if you got brisket. I need to go running. Yeah, I'm gonna go. <laughs> go.